Have you ever been in that conversation where you're talking with someone and you get to a point where you say, I have no idea what you're talking about? You ever get there? Or, or you say to someone, I literally don't know what you're saying. Now, you may have said that to your spouse like this morning on the way to church. This is not what I'm talking about. Often those are just a matter of miscommunication, where you just are missing one another. But sometimes people say things that literally make no sense. So what I decided to do was give you some illustrations of that. I wanted to give you a few examples of what it might sound like to say something that makes no sense. Let me give you a few examples. Love is like a diesel engine. Truth is like a tricycle in December. You are as beautiful as curbside service at Sonic. You are as rich as a freshly mowed yard. Or your personality is like the rockfish tournament in Weldon. I don't know what any of that means. Like, I don't know what love has to do with a diesel engine. You might, and you can use that with your significant other. I have no idea what that means. Truth, I don't know what truth has to do with a tricycle or December. I have no idea what beauty has to do with curbside service. Maybe you do. I don't. I don't know what wealth has anything to do with a freshly mowed yard, and I have no idea what personality has to do with the rockfish tournament. When you put those together, they don't make any sense. That just creates a bunch of confusion. And it's that kind of confusion, it's that feeling of something not making sense that I think the people were feeling when Jesus taught them the two parables we're looking at today. I think they had that same sense that this does not make sense. These things don't go together. So we pick up in the story that we're walking through in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we pick up with verse 26 as we continue our journey through the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. If you have your Bibles, you can open there or you can walk along with me on the screen behind me. Verse 26, he also said, this is Jesus, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. These two parables, I think, created a lot of confusion for the people. Remember, he is speaking in parables as a way of exposing their hearts. So it's only going to be those with a humble heart who desire to understand the kingdom that are going to understand what's going on in these two parables. In their world, a kingdom is an empire. An empire 
is established through violence, through military strength, by force. You use coercion, you use power, you leverage your authority. And in their day, the Jews, listening to Jesus, would have heard him proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, it's coming, it's here, it's right in front of you. And they would have expected that Jesus was soon to raise up an army of Jewish men. And they were about to start a revolution in order to kick out the Romans from Palestine. In their minds, kingdom equals violence equals rescue equals God's land. And they were ready for a violent revolution. They were ready to take up arms in order to fight the enemy. And so when Jesus says something like, the kingdom of God is like, they're ready to hear something from the political or military world of the empire. That's what they're set for. And yet, Jesus uses an illustration from the natural world. He uses farming. That makes no sense. Those two don't go together. You don't talk about empire, kingdom, and farming. These two don't mesh. And yet, for Jesus, these two things are the way the kingdom works. These are the comparisons that make sense in the kingdom of God. We know that the people were looking to make Jesus king. We know they were ready to put him on a throne so the revolution could begin. So if we just step into the Gospel of John, we see that right after he fed 5,000 people, we see the people responding. Take a look. John chapter 6 Verse 14 and 15, even when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Verse 15, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Now, if someone's ready to make me king, I'm ready to put myself on the throne and bow my head ready for my crown. But in the kingdom of God, this is not the way that worked. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It doesn't use the categories that earthly empires use. And there's this moment a few years later when Jesus stands in front of Pontius Pilate, the representative of the Roman Empire, and he says just that. Look at what he says, John 18, 36, just before his crucifixion, Jesus answered, this is to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So when Jesus looks around at the political and military strength of the empire, he can't come up with a comparison for the kingdom of God. So he picks farming. What an odd comparison. There was confusion, I am sure, in the crowd on that day. And yet in using these two parables, these two parables of seed in the ground growing to harvest and to a large plant in the garden, Jesus is declaring two key truths about the kingdom of God. We're going to take a look at those two. One is that God is working behind the scenes. God is working behind the scenes. In our world, not just our world today, 21st century, but back in the Roman world, the goal was to become famous. It was to put on display all of your accolades. Everything that you did, you wanted to get it on display so that you could be famous. You wanted honor, and honor came through popularity. And yet here Jesus uses an illustration 
about a seed that goes in the ground and is hidden. In the kingdom of God, things are often hidden. Like a seed under the ground, because it's under the ground that all the transformation happens. That's where change happens. And so in the kingdom of God, you may not see God working, but here in these two parables we know, just like a seed in the ground that you can't see, God is moving behind the scenes even when you don't notice him. And this is a key truth that we see throughout the New Testament, that God is moving even when you can't see him. And it is a truth that gives encouragement to those early believers when they came to believe in this Jesus, the Messiah. The Apostle Paul, for example, he wrote a letter to these early Christians in Corinth, and he describes to them their life in this new kingdom, and he happens to use the illustration of farming. Take a look at what he writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 7. He says this, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Even when you don't see him, God's moving. He's behind the scenes. He's bringing about transformation that eventually will break the soil so everyone can see. And good fruit will be produced. And here Paul tells this, speaks this truth into the lives of these early Christians in Corinth. Jesus himself knew that his father was working behind the scenes, even when they couldn't see. And he gave this, he told this to the people. He spoke it, taught it to them as an encouragement. There's this famous, there's this famous passage on what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the assumption underneath this teaching is that God is working behind the scenes. Check it out. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 32, Jesus says this, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more important than food and your body more important than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Don't you worry. Do not come to the place where your worries colonize, they overtake, they invade your thoughts, because for you who believe, your Father is already working. He already knows what you need. He's working behind the scenes. He's like a seed in the ground where all the significant work is happening. That's what the kingdom of God is like. He's working behind the scenes, so don't you worry. God's got you. That's what Jesus is teaching them there in Matthew 6. And the assumption is that God is working even when you can't see him. There's this other place that the Apostle Paul takes that truth that God is working behind the scenes, and he uses it to declare an encouragement to early believers in the city of Rome. Oh, a famous passage. Many of you may know it. But the only way these verses are true is because the kingdom of God is like a seed in the ground. That is, God is working behind the scenes. 
He's working the behind the scenes so well that there is never anything that could take you from his hands. Take a look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39, Paul writes, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the, the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even when you hit life's darkest moment and all seems lost, don't you worry because the kingdom of God is like a seed planted in the ground where all the significant work is taking place. When you hit cancer, when you hit the heart attack, when you hit the unemployment, when your bank account hits zero, don't you worry because God is working even there behind the scenes and nothing, nothing, will remove his hand from your life because he is there doing all the significant work even if you can't see it. All of that, all these passages stand on top of that truth that the kingdom of God is like a seed hidden in the ground where all the work is happening. That's because God is working behind the scenes. And so you be encouraged with that. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. And you can imagine what this would have sounded like for those who actually understood what he was saying because they were ready. They were ready for the kingdom and it didn't look like it was coming. And in these parables, Jesus says, don't you worry. God is moving. God's working. He's up to something even today. And I imagine those that could understand understand, were encouraged by these two parables. Second truth embedded in those parables, second truth is that God exalts, God exalts the humble. God exalts the humble. Note that Jesus says the mustard seed's the smallest seed. Now, I'm no scientist, and I'm not getting into if that's actually true. We don't want to lose the point Jesus is making here. Jesus says the smallest seed becomes the largest plant. The smallest becomes the biggest And that is the way the kingdom of God works. You see, in our world, our world, pride wins the day. I'd say it like this. The world runs on pride. That's like the gasoline of this world. The world runs on pride, but the kingdom of God runs on humility. That's the way the kingdom of God works. And this is important for us to understand Because over and over again, Jesus will teach his disciples this key truth about the kingdom. When we get up to Mark chapter 10, we're going to see Jesus teaching them this truth again. Take a look. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 and 16, Jesus says, The people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. This makes no sense in our world. In our world, it's powerful people. It's people with money. It's people with military strength. It's people with big guns that own the world. It's people who declare how great they are 
that win in the end. And here Jesus pulls a child onto his lap and says, but in the kingdom of God, these are the owners. These are the participants. Unless you become like a child, you don't get in. That's because in the kingdom of God, God exalts the humble. That's the way it works in his realm. Now, as the people of, on that day hearing these parables, hearing about this small seed growing into the largest plant, as they listened to that, I imagine they thought about the Roman Empire, this large military force that was oppressing them right there in their hometown. I imagine they thought about the way the rulers of Rome governed, how they wielded control and power and authority. And there's this moment just a few verses later in Mark chapter 10 where the disciples are a bit smitten with that kind of authority. They think they're going to be walking into a kingdom where they get to use a little bit of force to declare how great they are. And Jesus has to double back and teach them again this truth that God exalts the humble. Take a look, verse 42 through 45. Jesus called them, this is the disciples, together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your ser servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the kingdom of God, God exalts the humble. And when you look out into the world, you don't see that happening very much. Let me say it this way. I would say it this way. The kingdom of God is different than anything this earth has ever seen. But one day, it will be all the earth sees because God will exalt the humble. In our day, we look out and see men of great power declaring how great they are. But the day will come when the earth will only see the humble exalted. Jesus himself said it quite clearly. This didn't come from me, just from Jesus. Matthew 5, 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. One day... One day, it will not be the militaries that control the earth. It will be the humble. It will be the meek. Those who willingly forgive and show mercy. Who love and bless. They will rule the earth. That's coming. And one day, that will be all the earth sees. So when you take all of that, all of that forward, I'm going to boil it down Boil it down to a summary that there are really only two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms. There is a kingdom that is prideful, and it produces death. And there is a kingdom that is humble, and it produces really good fruit. Fruit that lasts. When the Apostle Paul came to know Jesus... He wanted to teach some of these early Christians this truth, helping them, encouraging them to live in this kingdom of humility. And so he described, he described what a kingdom looks like, the kingdom of this world that feeds on our sinful nature, what that looks like. And then he then explained to them in another list what it looks like 
to live in the kingdom of God? What kind of fruit is produced when you are living by the Holy Spirit? Two lists that he writes in the letter of Galatians. One from the kingdom of this world, one from the kingdom of the Spirit, this kingdom of God. Check out this one list. I think you'll guess which one this is. He writes this, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's not that God's mean walking around with a paddle or some type of spanking spoon ready to whoop your tail if you do something wrong. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying when you live the kind of life that is full of jealousy and dissension, your life won't fit into the kingdom of God. It just doesn't work. Because the kingdom of God looks like this. Galatians 5, through 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. It's that kingdom, it's that list that Jesus is inviting people into when he spoke those two parables. It's a kingdom where God is working behind the scenes and where God exalts the humble. That's what we see happening in those two parables in Mark chapter 4. So what does that have to do with your life? What application could you make for where you find yourself today? I got two, two applications. They both start with A so that you can remember it. You like that? A little alliteration. I don't typically do it, trying something new. If it doesn't work, blame someone else. Here it is, application, awareness. This is one application, awareness. Be aware that God is working behind the scenes in your life. So often, we can't see where God is working. And we move, we move to a place where we deny his existence. Or we would declare that he must not care. When someone receives the diagnosis that, you don't, that we don't think we can get past, often people say, he must not like me anymore. Oh, that's not the case. God's doing something that you can't see. And that doesn't even mean God gave it to you, but it does mean he will use it. And I don't know exactly how all that works when you hit that crisis, thinking all is lost. I don't know exactly what God's doing there. But I do know that whenever you hit your wall of hopelessness, God's moving. He's working behind the scenes. He has not changed that part about the kingdom of God. Now, when you, things are going well, be very careful to remember, you didn't do everything to get you there. God's been working behind the scenes. So if times are really good for you right now, and you have a lot of prosperity... Be very careful that you don't try to, take, try to take ownership or take credit for all the good things happening in your life. Let's be honest. You're not that good, nor are you that wise. God is working behind the scenes.
So no matter if you hit despair or prosperity, you remember that God is working behind the scenes in your life right now at 11.37 on a Sunday morning. I want you to get this on the ground for your life today. Second point of application is action. Action. Make decisions. Make decisions that make sense in the kingdom of God. Outbursts of anger don't make sense in the kingdom of God. I feel like I need to like walk with one foot now because that just hit me. I get it. You ever had an outburst of anger? Yeah? Yeah, me too. Like this week. I'm not above any of this. But that doesn't make sense in the kingdom of God. Gossip does not make sense in the kingdom of God. Pornography does not make sense in the kingdom of God. Lying does not make sense in the kingdom of God. And so really what I want to do is put in front of you those two lists. And I want you to really consider which way are you moving. Which kingdom are you moving deeper into? Take a look. Here are these lists. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorceries, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension. Does that list begin to describe a lot of your life right now? This is not, this, I'm not, this is not a way of condemning you to hell right now. This is a way of assessing where you find yourself. Or does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, is that the kind of life you are cultivating in your home and workplace, out in the community? It is only this list that starts with love and then moves to self-control. It's that list that will reign, that will flourish, that will produce fruit that lasts forever. Only that list. The other list that starts with sexual immorality and moves all the way to dissension, it's that list that will ultimately produce death. And you know, you know right where you find yourself if your life is moving in one direction or the other. But really think about this. Really think about where you find yourself. But my challenge is that we would make decisions that make sense in the kingdom of God. That we would choose love and not hate. That we would choose humility and not pride. That's where life will work. So let's take all of that into a next step. Something you can do today and into the week. Some very practical step here. And that is, that next step would be, do something each day this week that puts someone else first. Do something that will put someone else first each day. That me might be making your spouse or loved one a cup of coffee. You may have never done that before. This week is your chance to serve your spouse that way. Uh, maybe maybe you have never you have never taken out the trash. Maybe this is your week. I don't know what it will be for you, but do something, like just one thing. Don't try to conquer the world. You're not, running, you're not running a marathon in a day. One thing each day this week that you can do that will put someone else first. It can be small, it can be large, but just do one thing. And that will begin to train us in the direction of God's kingdom. 
that's where the good life is. And most people are trying to find it. It just so happens it's only found in the kingdom of God. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for these teachings from Jesus. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He has conquered the grave. He has destroyed the enemy. And death no longer has hold on us. So I pray for encouragement for these fellow believers. I just pray that we would be encouraged. That you are working behind the scenes. And that you will exalt the humble. And would you move us in that direction. Holy Spirit, we need your help. And would you bring people around us, friends and family members, to help us move in that direction as well? Because we're going to need help from other people as well. Make us humble. Teach us your way. Give us good life in the kingdom. Under his authority, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our good teacher, Jesus. And together we pray.